Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Glad for the presence of each of you this morning. Two weeks ago, when brought the message here, we looked at Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42, where Jesus spoke about our response to wrongs or mistreatment of others towards us. Today, I'd like to go to Matthew chapter 5 and finish looking at that chapter and look at what Jesus has to say regarding our response towards our enemies in verses 43 through 48. One thing I wanted to note is that this, uh, this section of verses is the last place here in Matthew 5 where Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. So it's the last of these contrasting teachings that Jesus has given here in the Sermon on the Mount. The last of, of six times. I'd like to read verses 43 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do, you, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. These verses, these teachings here regarding how we relate to others, relate to, particularly to those who are our enemy or in opposition to us, are important verses. And they're verses that a tremendous amount could be, could be said about. And I, I feel a little inadequate to uh, fully explain everything here and also feel somewhat constrained by, by time to do the amount of studying I would like to, to do and also the amount of constrained by the amount of time we have this morning. So I trust that what I share this morning will be helpful and useful. But here in verse 43, we have Jesus stating the old command that was given in the law. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. This is what these people had grown up being taught, so to speak. And I'd like to look at, the, at that command and what it meant to the Jewish people. We find that command in Leviticus 19, and I'd like to turn back and read that. Leviticus 19, 
verses 17 and 18. says this, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in the heart. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, and not, excuse me, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. For thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord." So here we see that they were given a positive and a negative command. They were told that they were not, on the negative side, they were not to hate their neighbor. They were not to, bear, to take vengeance against him or to bear a grudge against him. But in contrast, they were to love their neighbor. But who was their neighbor? That's what it really boils down to, is who was their neighbor? Verse 18 there in in Leviticus 19 says that they were not to bear a grudge against the children of thy people, but but you should love your neighbor as yourself. So the Jewish people understood this to be a command to love their fellow Jew. But they had no obligation to anybody else. They recognized that they were God's chosen people. And so everybody else didn't really matter. They were responsible to themselves to love and care for for their people. But nobody else mattered. But... In taking that attitude, I've already turned back, but there in Leviticus 19, they, in taking that attitude, they were overlooking another verse there in Leviticus 19. Verse 34 says, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born amongst you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, here, God had clearly instructed them as well to love the stranger that was in their midst. They were to show love and and compassion to everyone. Not just their fellow Jews, not just their own people. All people were to be treated well. So we can see that what they were teaching, what they were practicing was not in line with God's original plan clear back from the Old Testament law. But I'd like you to consider that that what they were doing is a common human trait and tendency. And that's the, the tendency to categorize people and to accept those 
who are of the same tribe, so to speak, but to reject others. And we do that based on our race, our background, our uh, different cultures, etc. We have a tendency to categorize and accept or reject people based on how they fit in the categories we make in our minds. That thinking is what has allowed things like the practice of slavery, genocide by the Nazis and others, other groups of people around the world. Those types of things have happened because of this human tendency. For these things to happen, people have to think less of and look down on another group of people. They have to feel like that that other group of people, for whatever reason, is worthless, is not important, deserves to be oppressed or deserves to be annihilated or whatever. For these things to happen, people end up, they love their neighbor as in, like the Jews were doing, their own race, religion, their, their tribe, etc. And they hate everyone who doesn't belong to their group. So the Jewish people were following not God's way, but they were following the natural humanistic bent of our hearts to categorize and select who we're going to be good to. So Jesus says, that's what you have heard. But, he goes on to give his command, to love not just your neighbor, but your enemies. And to bless those that curse you. To do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who misuse you and persecute you. A vivid contrast from loving your fellow man who is part of your group to showing love and doing good for those who aren't just not of your group. They're actively opposing you. In verses 38 through 42 of Matthew 5, Jesus was speaking more of of not retaliating or not resisting when, when we experience wrong from someone else. But in these verses we're looking at today, we see more of an active response, not just passive response of not retaliating, but an active response of doing good. We're called to love. We're called to bless to pray for and to to do good for all men, even if they're oppressing us, persecuting us, 
whatever. The previous verses we looked at two weeks ago deal more with our response to an offense. These verses deal more with our relationship to those who are offending or harming or opposing us. So, so when we look at these, these verses here today, verses 43 through 48, think of it that it's, it's about my reaction to the person who would oppose me or do me harm, not so much my reaction to what they do. As I thought about this and this, this whole thing of our natural bent towards loving and associating and doing good for those who are close to us and maybe having a tendency to shun or even maybe a tendency to do ill towards those who are not part of my group, my mind kept going back to the account of the Good Samaritan. And I'd like to turn back and look at that in Luke chapter 10. John gave, excuse me, Jesus gave this account of the Good Samaritan. And it's a well-known account. But it has some extremely important lessons in it for us. Luke 10, I'd like to start reading at verse 25, because this gives the, the setting of, of how, this hap, this, how this story came about, how Jesus came to tell this story. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you notice it says that he tempted him, or he was testing him, these these. Jewish, the scribes and Pharisees and these, these authorities in the law were intent on getting Jesus to say something that contradicted the law of Moses, something that they could, could catch him in. And so he turned the, turned the question back to this lawyer. He says, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And your answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do this, and thou shalt live. And he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow he departed. When he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, 
And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now which of these three, thinkest thou, was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. So we see this this lawyer, this man of the law, testing Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, well, well, how do you interpret the law? How, how, how do you, would you interpret that you need to live to gain eternal life? And he gave his answer to basically it's love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus said, that's a good answer. If you do that, you will live. And, and I think when he said you will live, he was talking about living eternally. But when the man went on to ask, who is my neighbor? He probably expected to hear something from Jesus about his fellow man, his, his fellow, fellow Jews, the, maybe those in need. But Jesus told this story of, of the Good Samaritan. The story of this Jewish man who fell into the unfortunate circumstances of being beaten and robbed and left beside the road for dead. It says he was half dead. So probably he was beaten to the point that he couldn't help himself. Would have died without assistance. And as he lay there, the next two travelers to come through was a priest and a Levite. Both of these men were Jews. Both of these men, the priest and Levite, were would have been of the most religious of the Jews. Yet, they didn't do any more than look at him and pass on by. No love for their fellow man, their fellow Jew, who was laying there by the road, suffering. But then along came this Samaritan man. And the Samaritans were a mixed race. They were descendants of Jewish people after the exile of the, of the Jews to Babylon. They were a, a mixed race of the Jews who had remained in the land and the surrounding peoples, and I think maybe even some people who had been imported from other areas to inhabit the land. They practiced some of the Jewish law mixed with some pagan religions and the Jews despised the Samaritans because they were of a mixed race because they did not worship God correctly and yes they they should have they those things that was wrong they were they were living in disobedience to God but yet the Samaritans despised them He would have been an enemy of the Jewish people. There would have been 
antagonism and opposition between the Jews and the Samaritans. Yet the man who laid there by the road, wounded, found compassion in his enemy, in the Samaritan man, in the one who would have been the least likely to have given aid, at least in our minds. And I believe that Jesus was showing in this example that his way is a way of compassion for all men, regardless of who they are, regardless of their background. In this account, the Samaritan man was clearly more righteous in his actions than these two previous Jewish men, the priest and the Levite. They were men who would have subscribed to this law that I need to love my neighbor but hate my enemy. Yet we see the tables turned and we see the enemy responding in love and caring for this injured Jewish man. Jesus questioned this lawyer and he said, which of these men was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And he had to admit it was the Samaritan man. It was the, it was the hated Samaritan who had done the neighborly deed. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I think this is an example of the active love and active good deeds that Jesus wants us to demonstrate to everyone, no matter if they're our brother and sister in the church or whether they're our neighbor, literally, next door, or whether it's someone we have a chance encounter with throughout the week. This Samaritan man was doing good to someone who may have cursed him and despitefully used him and persecuted him. It's an example of what Christ wants us to do. He obviously, when he came along, didn't see an enemy lying there half dead. He saw a neighbor. He saw a fellow man, and he had compassion. I believe that Jesus' teaching is that we need to not have classifications of people in our minds. It doesn't matter if they're enemies or they're friends if they're Jews, if they're Gentiles, if they're black or they're white or any other race or whatever other category that we could come up with. Jesus is calling us to do good to all men. I also want to point out 
that this passage in Matthew 5 is not the only place in Scripture where the principle of loving our enemies or doing good to them is taught. One that I didn't uh, include in my notes is found in Deuteronomy, and I, I can't quote the, the, which, what the reference is, but there is a reference in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament law that says that if you find your enemy's animal out wandering around, it's your responsibility to, to take that animal and take care of it and feed it and return it to your enemy. And so right there was a, an early uh, command of doing good rather than seeking vengeance. But another one from the Old Testament is Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. That's, a, that's that last phrase, and the Lord shall reward thee, is something that we need to grasp in our minds and understand. So often when we look at this, at, at how we respond when somebody wants to do ill to me, I'm concerned about myself and I'm concerned about my possessions. But here in Proverbs, it's saying to do good and the Lord will reward you. It doesn't say how he'll reward you. It doesn't say that he'll heal the wounds and give back the loss and whatever, but it's a clear promise that the Lord will reward you. Another from the New Testament, the pretty much the same thing as there in Proverbs, Romans twelve seventeen through 21. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in doing so, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What stood out to me in those verses is we're commanded to overcome evil with good. Our natural inclination is to return evil for evil, harm for harm. It's like Jesus said in verse uh, verse 38, Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's our natural inclination. I'm going to get back what was the wrong that was done to me I'm going to repay. But it says here, we're to overcome evil with good. And it also says here in Romans that God's way is for us to leave way for to leave the vengeance or the retribution to God. 
That's his responsibility. God has given us the responsibility to do good, to focus on doing good. In our minds, so often, it's the only option we seem to be able to think about is the option to resist, to fight back, to protect ourselves. But God says, leave that to me. So we're called to place ourselves in his hands, to trust him, to trust him to work things out according to his will, not according to my will. And you know, there's many accounts in the scripture and also uh, throughout history of how God has protected and blessed his people who have trusted him in the face of danger and of evil rather than fighting back. And that's no guarantee that God will always choose to protect us from all evil and danger. But I had to think how it's interesting that God so often has delivered people who were in a powerless situation. They were, they either, uh, were in a situation where there was nothing they could do or they chose to simply trust him and not to take things in their own hands. And it gave God the opportunity to act and to gain the glory. When we refuse to react in that normal human way of retaliation. It has, gives the, a powerful testimony to other people. If we can respond in love to the one who's oppressing us. I just recently heard an account given of a couple, a husband and wife, who were taken hostage, and I'm not sure how long this lasted. Obviously, it was a long ordeal, months, I believe, maybe even longer than that. And somewhere along the line, they were convicted that God would want them to pray for and to show love and compassion to their captors. And... Their test, or her testimony was of the difference that it made in their relationship with their captors. Her husband ended up being killed. So it didn't necessarily make the outcome what they would have chosen. But yet, they left a testimony and a witness with those men who were oppressing and, and taking advantage of them. Look at verse 45 of Matthew 5. It says, That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust.
that gives God's purpose in asking us to respond this way to those who would oppress us or harm us. To be children of our Father in heaven means that we'll be like him in what we do. And he gives the example that God gives good things to everyone. The evil people and the good people all share in God's overall blessings to mankind. Yesterday was just a beautiful fall day. And I don't care if you were if you're a righteous godly person or the worst most evil person in Rockingham County both had the equal opportunity to enjoy God's goodness yesterday we do today as well but that's just a good example God pours out many good things on all men irregardless of their relationship to him. And so he wants us too to freely give good things to everyone, even if they're our enemy. We're called to reflect God's character, to show his love to others, even if it's at our own expense, even if it might mean harm or humiliation to me. God wants me to respond with his love, with his goodness. Sharing his love and goodness should be our ultimate goal in dealing with anyone, even an enemy. And he goes on to say that if we simply love those who love us, if we only love those who are of our tribe, We're no better off or no different than the publicans who were the despised tax collectors of his day. Loving those who love us in return is nothing special. What gets us noticed is when we do good to those who do wrong or harm us. Jesus is calling his followers to a much higher standard than what comes naturally, what we do out of our own natural, you could say, instinct. And we won't be able to do it on our own. But only as we have experienced the love and goodness of God within our own hearts and lives. And have developed a desire to, like God, pour that love and that goodness out to other people. Then in verse 48, we're called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection sounds like a pretty high level to try to attain to. And we'll never be perfect in the sense that God is perfect and sinless and all-knowing and all-powerful. But we can be perfect in the sense that 
God gives us the strength and ability to attain to the purpose for which he has created us and for, what, for which he has ordered our lives. That purpose is to demonstrate his love and his goodness to everyone. We're to be sons of God. We're to reflect him, to reflect his character. And to bring through that, to bring honor and glory to him. So to be perfect is to fulfill our God-given responsibility as his children. And part of that responsibility is showing love and goodness to others, no matter what the circumstances are. Jesus demonstrated this concept very well for us while on this earth. When he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. An attitude of forgiveness when he was being crucified, immediately after he had been brutally tortured. In the garden before he was arrested, the apostle Peter drew out his sword to defend Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus told him to put the sword away. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And at no other time in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus faced opposition, and he faced a lot of it, did he in any way retaliate towards anyone. But he was meek, he was gentle, and responded in godly love. For approximately the first 200 years in the history of the church, after the day of Pentecost, for it's about 170 to 200 years, the church held to the teaching of nonviolence, non-resistance, loving your enemies. And during that time, the church suffered tremendous persecution and opposition at the hands of the Roman government, mainly. But in spite of that, the early church grew and flourished and spread in spite of the fact that in the face of persecution and opposition and mistreatment, that they were not fighting back. We see this as well in the history of the Anabaptist movement. They were oppressed severely and persecuted, but yet they didn't fight back. They didn't, uh, they didn't so, much, so to speak, go into battle with their enemies. And yet their movement grew and gained traction and flourished in the face of severe persecution. Why? Why did why in these these time periods in the history of the church was there such growth and interest in the church? It's because following Jesus' teachings really works. 
If your goal is to promote the gospel and to show God's love to your fellow man, it really works to love your enemy, to do good to those who persecute you, and to pray for those who despitefully use you. Now today, we aren't facing so much persecution and opposition, maybe a little in some ways, but nothing severe. We're not facing war, really, uh, and probably most of us aren't going to face, depending on what happens in the world, most of us may never face some terrible evil deed that might be done to us. So does this mean this passage isn't for us or for me? No, I believe that there's many ways for us to live this out in our setting today. What about your reaction when somebody cuts you off on the road or you have a neighbor that does something to take advantage of you or a business deal that uh, somebody rips you off, makes promises they didn't carry through with or whatever. We need to ask ourselves in these circumstances, are my rights more important or is showing God's love to others more important? Remember that if all we want to do is love those who love us, we're not doing anything more than what the average person, ungodly person, would do. But if we're showing love to those who aren't being loving to us, then we have the opportunity to really shine as examples of God's love. So I challenge each of you, as you think about this passage and as you go forth from here, look for ways to show God's love to those who won't necessarily love you back. Whether it's a big way or... Maybe it's just something little, like I said, how, how we react on the road when somebody cuts us off or, or whatever. There's, what, there's things we can do, and it'll bring honor and glory to God, and it has the potential to bless and build up his kingdom here on this earth. So may God bless you.